2: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode is being recorded live on Wednesday, May 24th, 2017. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo.
1: Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. You know, Jason, some of the feedback we get says that uh, some of our jokes, especially yours, are juvenile. So we have perfect guests for the show tonight. In fairness, that, that feedback is mostly from my family. (laughs) <laughs> okay, because they get to live with them all the time. Uh, so tonight, we're really excited to have two members of the Doral Juvenile Group e-commerce team. Dor- Doral Juvenile is the world's leading juvenile product company and has over 11,000 employees globally. They have a portfolio of 11 brands, including Costco and Safety First. We're excited to have on the show Bob Land, who is the VP of Consumer Engagement, and Jamie Dooley, who is the head of e-commerce. Welcome, Bob and Jamie. Hello. Hi. Cool. So, what what part of the world? Uh, I'm in Raleigh. Uh, I think Jason is back home in uh, sunny Chicago. Where are you guys at?
3: I am in the backwoods of southern New Hampshire, and uh, but uh, our our company is actually headquartered in the U.S. in Foxborough, Massachusetts, which is probably about 15 minutes away from the Patriot Stadium. Okay. Got it. And I'm in the backwoods of Boston.
1: Okay, so the first speaker there was Jamie, and the second was Bob, for those of you that don't recognize their voices.
2: <laughs> yes. We always like to start the show by kind of uh, getting a, a rundown on your background and, and how you, you got to your current roles, and maybe a little bit about what the, the scope of your role is now. So, Bob, can we start with you?
0: Sure, sure. I'm, I'm kind of the, uh, the old man of e-commerce, it seems. Uh, I started off in e-commerce in 1995. Uh, I'm not sure how often you you hear that, but uh, uh, I worked at Polaroid and a, I was a product manager on a product called the Make a Print. You know those uh, machines that you go into a CVS or a Walgreens and you get oh, your yeah. photo taken. We did that in '95, and we used the internet to you know send some photos uh, uh, to uh, you know the through the inter- uh, the internet. So it was uh, uh, kind of an early beginning. But I went to uh, Rensselaer, which is a little college in upstate New York uh, engineering school. Uh launched Lids.com in 1999. I don't know if you know those guys. They're yeah. uh, a hat retailer. And then CVS.com uh, for CVS Pharmacy in around 2001. And then got into the affiliate space. Uh, I don't know if you guys are love the affiliate world like I do, but I, I started a company called BeFree and uh, Commission Junction. And uh, then did startups. From uh, 2006 all the way to 2011, where we got bought by Rakuten, which is a, a pretty large e-commerce uh, player out of Japan. That's where I stayed for uh, a while on their uh, leadership team. And then found Darrell. That's our video ad from our new CEO, uh, recruiting people for a digital transformation. So I've been there. Been here ever since.
2: And and uh, how long is ever since? When did you get to Darrell?
0: Oh, well, th- three and a half years, but uh, in e-commerce terms, it's probably about, what, seven? Is that the multiplier?
2: I, th- I think so. Uh, so you're off probation then? <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> Double secret probation.
3: Awesome. And, Jimmy, what about yourself? Well, I mean, just tangentially, my probation officer, uh, I need to call him after this podcast. He's thrilled that I'm at But uh, <laughs> That was one of the conditions
2: I, of your parole, if I'm not mistaken.
3: I, it absolutely was. So, so uh, I went to MIT for graduate school, and
2: that's I like a, a little large
3: college in the in the uh, Northeast. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a little small school, and uh, I actually, I was one of the only people in my graduating class that actually went into retail. So, I w- I got recruited out of out of MIT to to go work as a, a buyer in brick and mortar for Target which, you know, very traditional path into e-commerce, go, for, go to MIT and then go into rock music um, as the buyer of, of rock CDs for, for Target Corporation. And then uh, worked as a brick-and-mortar buyer for both Target and, and Staples, and then ultimately uh, ended up back here in New England uh, working for Wayfair, where I was the, the director of category management for a number of categories, including uh, the baby category. So that was really my first entree into the baby space as well as toys and, uh, and game rooms. And then, uh, ultimately went to, uh, Dunkin' Brands or Dunkin' Donuts headquarters where I, where I led retail merchandising and e-commerce. And then more recently was the the director of e-commerce merchandising and strategy for toys and babies And most recently is, uh, I've been at Durrell for about uh, a year and a half now and I'm head of e-commerce where, uh, I actually came to the company mainly uh, because Bob and the leadership team had painted uh, a really exciting vision for transforming uh, what was already a very well known company in the baby space uh, into a more e commerce focused and digital organization. And very excited to have been a part of that change over the last year and a half. We made him pick the Kool Aid right off the bat. <laughs>
1: Well, I I was keeping track, and I think between the two of you, we've got 480 of the IR500, so congratulations on the the (laughs) careers you guys have checked off. There's a pretty robust set of companies you guys have worked for. Thank you. Um, so let's uh, let's kind of start at a high level and uh, kind of work our way in, peel the onion as it were. So uh, you know, you're, you guys were at retailers before and a vendor there, and now you're at a brand. Um, so tell us a little bit. You know, how do you guys think about channels, um, and then just just macro online, offline, and and how. You know important that is for you guys. They obviously bought you in, um, so it must be pretty important. Uh, And then, as we, you know, and then within the channels, within online, uh, I'll probably have a follow up. So let's just start there.
3: Sure. So we sell into uh, a number of different channels, and just high level, so you got so the listeners and everyone understand. We uh, we're we're the largest uh, manufacturer in the U.S. of baby products. So that's everything from strollers to car seats to infant health products like, uh, thermometers to, to the safety monitors and, uh, probably the, the, the product that, uh, people are probably most familiar with is the baby on board signs that you see in, in a lot of cars that, that is, uh, predominantly made by us. So when we, when we think about channels, there's obviously we sell into the traditional brick and mortar retailers. We, we sell into pure play online retailers as well. We also have, uh, a, a, a very strong and growing D2C channel, Whether uh, and I can talk a little bit more about you know, what comprises our D2C channel. Uh, we, uh, marketplaces, kind of, we kind of don't think of marketplaces or online marketplaces as part of D2C, but so that's probably another channel we look at. And then we, ha- we, we have done physical stores and pop-up stores, so brick-and-mortar is, is kind of our own channel, which we, we kind of uh, put under D2C as well. And then we have some B two B channels that uh, that we're, we're experimenting as well. Cool. So, um, um, yeah.
1: w- what? Uh, give us an idea of the scope of of uh, online, and you know, is this kind of you
3: guys are at ground zero, or has there been some progress? Yeah, I think we've we've uh, we've had tremendous progress over the last. Well, probably the last year and a half, and in terms of not over, not only just a, a digital transformation in the mentality of how we approach e-commerce, but for, from a sales perspective as well. So the industry, depending on the category we're in, we're in we're in so many different categories in baby, the .dot com or e-commerce penetration ranges anywhere from ten to fifteen percent up to up to thirty percent, and we're certainly you know I. I've worked with a lot of our competitors having been at babies or us.com and at Wayfair to know that we're, we're certainly at the high end of of that scale in terms of, in terms of com penetration relative to the rest of uh, the industry. And we're obviously a really big company where we do about a billion dollars a year globally. So uh, the e-commerce uh, business is certainly uh, one of our fastest growing parts of the business. And uh, we're excited about that. So we feel like the, the organization has really embraced the uh, the change and we continue to, to to see great things coming out of uh, coming out of e coming out of e-commerce and D 2 C.
0: It's kinda of nice that we're you know allowed to go as broad as we have, uh, in that you know we didn't we're not uh, you know only doing D 2 C or only the e commerce group. Uh, we're in this this space where, you know, we call it consumer engagement, but really it's we have the the brand marketing budget as well. Uh, we have call center, we have uh, D2C, we have marketplaces, we have several different groups under kind of one umbrella. So we, from our perspective, if we, you know, we feel that we should start selling uh, out of uh, our call center or upselling services or things like that. We're absolutely, uh, you know, it's in our charter to do something like that. So it's its a nice bit of freedom uh, inside a, a relatively large company.
1: Cool. Do you guys operate it? So um, we had Greg pulse for on from VF Corp and they they're kind of like a center for e-commerce and then the brands kind of feed off of that. Um, and other places, other, other kind of houses of brands we've talked to, um, there's almost like independent groups that kind of run things. How are you guys set up uh, at a macro sense macro level?
0: We're a core team. Uh, so each one of the brands, uh, so there's five really that we operate out of, uh, out of, out of Foxborough. And, um, the we, we're basically the group that's the go-to-market team. Uh, once the NPD process, the new product development process, gets to a certain point, uh, we do all the launch planning for the company. We t- we, we really don't get into channel management. It's probably where we draw the line with uh, with the sales team, but uh, it's really a, a core group that uh, that uh, works to really extend the, the the brand marketing. So the brand teams really only get to work on product development and core brand development. And then we really do the activation uh, part of the brand.
2: Got it. Interesting. You know, uh, I'm always fascinated. I, I have some clients, uh, that are brands that have very robust direct to consumer businesses. And then I also have some, some brands that are super early in their DTC uh, journey. And those guys are always terrified about the channel conflict issues. Um, and so I'm, I'm sort of assuming by how robust, um, your, your channels are that, that, that if there were any concerns, those concerns have sort of played out in the past. Is that a fair characterization or is that still something you have to grapple with? Well, I think
3: we still we absolutely grapple with it every day. I wouldn't say it's it's a huge obstacle for trying to run e commerce, but we're certainly mindful of. Uh, I mean, we of, of all of our retail partners as we're as we're managing D to C, and and I think we've we've approached it where we we don't we don't want to actively compete with our major retail partners. Uh, certainly, in my career, taking Amazon on is is never a good idea, and uh, or certainly Walmart, or any of the other major retailers we, we, uh, we sell into. Uh, our goal is to, to provide a, a great customer experience regardless of the channel the customer purchases from. So whether it be, you know, we sell on brand sites, we sell directly to uh, our, our, our 1P retailers, we sell on the marketplaces, and and then through even our call centers and B2B. Um, our goal is ultimately to, to have all those channels work work in harmony and not try and compete against each other for for the same customer.
2: Got it. And I'm assuming your sort of core digital team isn't just supporting the DTC. So you're probably also providing content and assets and stuff for your, for your one P partners for their own e-commerce
3: efforts. Is that, is that true? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think that's part of how we've tried to, to sell the vision to our retail partners and throughout the organization is that, what we do from a content perspective or um, everything that we're doing to enhance the the, the customer experience online is certainly going to affect even brick and mortar sales and and uh, help help the overall company The journey just to
0: this point has been it's taken a while you know three or four years now really to it, it, it's like we've been on a, a data liberation uh, movement where you know we had seven or eight um, products. Catalogs, you know, spread all over the world. All these different databases, and we use something called Salsify to kind of bring it all together. And really, once we took moves like that, and really didn't rely on legacy systems anymore, we completely rebuilt the marketing technology stacks. Um, We we trained the product managers to develop content in in you know the ways that it should be developed for online. Um, So. It it was kind of. It's getting to a point where it's a lot easier than it than it used to be. Uh, The barriers have been really knocked down. Not to say that we don't find new barriers kind of every week uh, placed in front of us, but I think the systems, the the kind of the the level of of uh, agility that the systems have, really empowers everybody. We've taken a lot of cost out of the business too, you know, by not uh, by getting off of these legacy systems. So Uh, what what a nice pivot point here.
2: Yeah. I often find, um, that, that, that often is a cost savings for brands that you, you know, in the, in the old world, you, you, uh, unbeknownst to you were creating the same content multiple times for multiple touch points. And when you're, mm-hmm. when you get those more robust systems, you get better content reuse often.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely. Yep. And we also, we're spending money in the wrong places. So, you know, no gone are the days where you have to do, you know, thirty thousand dollar photo shoots for a single product launch but as far as I'm concerned for, for Durell anyway um, you know we do social social photo shoots where we invite you know parents who live within 30 miles of the office to bring their cute baby in for the day and we shower them with gifts and you get amazing photos out of a session like that and you're doing consumer engagement so it's it's kind of it's kind of evolved now
2: nice very interesting um i we might want to explore that more but i do uh want to touch on something you you introduced a little earlier um so amazon's one of your retail partners you're selling to them one p you're also selling on marketplaces and i'm i'm presuming one of those marketplaces is is amazon so you're you're sort of selling uh through, through two methods, and uh, we, we often call that sort of a, a hybrid model. Is, uh, a, do I have that right? And if so, can you, can you uh, talk our listeners through how, how that's worked for you?
3: Sure, yeah, and that's absolutely right. Yeah, we are a hybrid. We, we've sold via 1P for over a decade, for a long time, and then we launched on Amazon Marketplace uh, about a little over a year ago, and it just took off been fantastic and i think we uh we have a really good partnership with our vendor managers on the one piece side and we're we're fortunate enough to to have a a really good relationship with comp managers on the marketplace side so i think uh we uh we we had some pretty lofty goals to hit from an e-commerce perspective last year and uh we beat them pretty handily and uh, certainly the marketplaces were a big part of that in addition to overall e-commerce just really uh, performing extremely well. Uh,
1: a lot of brands I talk to, they they get really confused by this. They kind of say, all right, so uh, I'm, I get the wholesale thing. Why would you have 3P? And uh, I, I know, uh, an answer to this, but I'm curious like from, from your perspective, uh, you know, what was it that, that led you to kind of explore that and and what are some of the levers it gives you to pull uh in the in the Amazon side of things?
3: I think for for us, when I got hired, I was hired to, to lead D 2 C and I don't think we really knew how we wanted to approach that, whether we wanted to focus mostly on brand sites first or online marketplaces or physical stores even. You have a pretty strong Physical store um, sales um, revenue stream in Europe. So I looked at it from a blank slate, and I think from from a traffic perspective, certainly it was it was the easiest to go after online marketplaces. So that was one of the 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 major factors that uh, that I thought about when we, when we were uh, trying to decide which do we focus on first. Because we focus on all of them now, but uh, you only have so much resources in the beginning. Uh, I love that we have the safety net. I mean, we, uh, your podcast has talked a lot about crapped items. And, you know, we, we certainly have uh, a safety net for when or if Amazon um, decides to, to, to crap out items, we can put them on the marketplace pretty easily. And then, I mean, we look at our, our products kind of in, in six buckets, And, you know, I, I talk about this in the session I do at uh at IRCE coming up where we look at it from a new product launch perspective, an existing catalog perspective, online, online exclusives or what we call aisle extenders, parts, accessories, and then excess inventory and closeouts. So it gives us the flexibility to, to to go in and decide how we're going to approach each one of those product buckets for each one of our our brands in our portfolio and gives us a lot of options um, for how we want to, how we want to drive sales for each of those those product categories.
1: Very cool. So, so um, uh, in the early days, how much skew overlap is there between one p and three p? Um, uh, a lot of our uh, the folks I've talked to they they first explore three p because you know they've they've presented ten thousand SKUs to Amazon. Amazon's bought a thousand. And they view it initially as a way to get the rest of their product line up there. Um is that the case with you guys? It sounds like there's a little overlap there because you're doing that safety net kind of dual listing approach.
3: So uh there's there's absolutely no overlap on, on the Amazon side. Uh Amazon actually doesn't allow that. So if anyone from the Amazon and the vendor management team is listening, absolutely zero students that overlap from between one and three. Uh okay. but uh What we uh, in other in other uh, marketplaces uh, that does allow us a a little bit of a safety net. So if the one piece side goes out of stock, then we are able to 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 have the the three piece side kick in.
2: And just a clarifying question on the on the overlap. Um, So does. Does that include out of stocks? So, like, if if Amazon carries a SKU and they go out of stock, can you sell it as three P until they come until they make another buy, or or do you you just stay away from those SKUs entirely?
3: Well, I think there's if if you're uh, if you're sticking to the letter of Amazon's policies, is that if Amazon carries an item or uh, merchandises an item on the one P side, you can't set that item up on the three P side and their algorithms will actually flag you and tell you that you're not allowed to do that. If it, if it detects that you have an overlapping skew on the marketplace side. Um, so that said there's, I mean, one of the, 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 the oversights that a lot of people have is that it's not just really one P versus three P there is three different types of three P and three different types of one P one of the types of one P is, is drop ship, where you're, uh, you're not the seller of record. It's not a marketplace relationship where the one uh, Amazon is still the seller of record, but it's very much like what you, you talked about, Jason. If Amazon goes out of stock, it automatically defaults to a drop ship order within our warehouse. And that's almost like a marketplace uh, safety net that uh, you can take advantage of as long as you're hitting the SLAs for Amazon.
2: Got it. And have you experimented with any um, vendor fulfilled FBA stuff in your portfolio?
3: Yes, absolutely. So we've, uh, we we actively use FBA now, and uh, we continue to look at. I mean, the, the cost of shipping is, is probably one of our biggest challenges as uh, as an e commerce uh, as an e commerce player, and certainly as a brand. So FBA is certainly getting. Um, more expensive so we, we need to make sure we're watching that but uh, yeah FBA obviously prime badging is, is is a very it's a very powerful um, traffic driver for us Yep. and then on the
2: 1P and 3P one of the, the complaints I often hear or one of the obstacles to being a, a hybrid seller is obviously Amazon has tools for 1P sellers uh, in in uh, vendor central and they have the seller central for, for 3P sellers do you use those tools and just use them separately for both sides of your business or have you looked at any of the sort of third-party
3: systems that try to aggregate those two tools yeah yeah so we uh we both we do use uh both systems vendor central and uh, seller central i think anyone who's used both knows that the data that you have available to you on the creepy side is much more robust you can be much more forensic and in trying to figure out how to drive more sales, whether looking at traffic or conversion or just all of the metrics that you have available um, to, to analyze your business, even on the one piece side, even if you have what, uh, what, uh, what's called premium ARA, you don't have access to that kind of data. So to answer your question, yeah, we, we've absolutely looked at a number of third party data solutions. Uh, some of them, I, I, I think, some of your other uh, previous speakers on the podcast, like uh, Melissa or um, Andrea, I think, brought them up. Uh, whether it be Profitero or or OneClick Retail or BrandView, those are those are solutions we've looked at. And we're about to we're about to sign a contract actually this week with one of them that, as you as you mentioned, helps to aggregate the data between both and help it helps us to look at both sides of the business in concert with each other.
1: Cool, um, I know you guys are real active on Amazon advertising and we've we've touched on that with some past guests, but we'd love to hear how you guys think about it and um, maybe just for listeners uh, you, you could recap. The I think people get kind of, I know I do, get confused. There's all these kind of uh, alphabet soup that gets thrown around. Uh, and since you're hybrid, you have uh, every every tool available to you. So maybe give a, a quick rundown of the tools available that's 1P and 3P, and then which ones you use, and then would love to hear any thoughts on the efficacy of those programs.
3: Sure. So at a very high level, I mean, there's so many different programs that Amazon has, but, I mean, I think the basic ones when you think about and really, if you if you rewind about nine months ago, there was just a much more um, defined difference between what you had available as a one piece seller and what you had available as a three piece seller. So, AMS had three different types of of advertising on them. Um, there is sponsored products, there is uh, there's headline um, headlines, and then there is um, product display advertising. But you only as a 3P seller, you only had access to sponsored products on the AMS side, whereas on the 1P side, you had access to all three. So uh, from that perspective, uh, on the 1P side, you know, I talked about this even a couple of months ago and said, hey, as a 1P seller, you have just much more options available to you from a marketing perspective and an advertising perspective. But that's starting to change, where AMG is actually starting to become available to, to marketplace sellers. And uh what, we, what we're hearing is that all three types of, of AMS advertising are going to soon be available to the marketplace sellers as well. So I think you're starting to see less of a gap. And you know certainly, as, as you've talked about on um, your podcast, Amazon is, is going after this the digital advertising space uh, much more aggressively. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a lot more options offered to both 1P and 3P side, on the 3P side. On the AMG side, it's more of kind of a branding um, experience. It's, it's not necessarily something that's going to be easy, easily tied to sales. So we've used both, but uh, I think we've, we've found that, uh, at least in the past, AMG has, has not had the, as high an ROI as, as AMS has had.
1: Cool, and just for listeners so a m g is uh more like banners and and kind of brand oriented advertising so c p m style advertising uh, and a m s is more search uh c p c type advertising and there's there's several flavors of it within Amazon of where things show up, but that's kind of the the broad distinction there
3: right and i I am hearing about a lot of different data programs that they're they're testing on the a m g side they're uh, from what I hear they're getting much better at retargeting ads and they've started to open up advertising off of the platform off of Amazon's platform and on other sites again. So I think it'll be interesting to see whether AMG gets better, I would I would assume it would.
1: Yeah, th- this is kind of a question, and let's let's take this out of uh, Dorel just for a second because you guys have you know, been around at, at retailers and all. So, do you guys think there's risk to some of the other ad companies out there? You know, um, so pretend you were at Toys R Us. Maybe this is a bad example, and you know, I'm sure they have a huge Google budget, and you know seems like Amazon lives a lot more. You know, there's the stat that always comes out that 55% of product searches start at Amazon. I think that's a Bloom Reach stat. But then there's also uh, Forrester had supporting data on that uh, up until about two years ago. Uh, so, you know, it, it's kind of interesting uh, to think, you know, could this really be a challenge to Google? And, and we're seeing uh, broadly people really kind of they, they experimented a year ago and now they're shifting budget directly out of Google's. Wallet over towards that side. Um, how do you, do you guys think that's that's something that
3: could happen? I do. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. think so. Yeah. And I know I, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to Bob a little. Bob has a much deeper background in digital advertising, so I know I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I think, you know, even just thinking about Durell and what we've done, we've really. It's almost like you're we're shutting down our brand advertising, um, you know, and pushing the money really over into Amazon, uh, just because it's almost become an uh some it's it's like awareness as well. So if I say, well, we're going to do this launch of a new product, all that effort goes into launching that new product um, on Amazon with AMS, and uh, if I'm a consumer. A lot of times I I don't know how much they're still going to, you know, bloggers who have been paid to, uh, to, you know, do a review on a, on a product. I think it's, it's almost like letting the people vote. So um, if I want a product, I'm going to go to Amazon and I'm going to trust that whatever I type in is going to be, if it's a bestseller with great reviews, how much more convincing do I need to buy that product? So even some of the more considered buys are, uh, I I think there's going to be a a shift if it's already not, you know, happening now.
1: Yeah. What do you think about? um, So I've also heard from brands and and Bob, this kind of affiliate thing. So what they're saying is, you know, I advertise on Amazon and I thought I would get lift on Amazon and I can measure that, but I'm also seeing lift off Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what's your kind of reaction to that?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's relatively well known about the kind of one dollar for. Uh, spent on Amazon equals about well, seven dollars outside it varies by category so you know in baby like our uh, our products we're seeing more like an eight dollar lift um, you know outside of amazon the the tricky part is is it, it it's not that uh, straightforward to measure uh, you know it, we're not seeing exactly those numbers so I think it takes uh it takes time
2: wow very cool so do, does it feel to you like that's a trend that's unique to Amazon in North America, and they're just becoming a, a great ad platform, or is it a shift to retailers overall? Like, we, are you guys also investing in like Walmart's equivalent, which would be WMX or, or any of those sorts of things? <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, yeah, I think we're
0: gonna have, you know, we, we have to we, between Walmart and Amazon. You know, the, for us, there are two largest uh, largest retailers, WMX. It is has evolved, um, you know. Even even for our AMS spend, we don't use the reporting in AMS at all, really. Um, we we really kind of built our own reports, and uh, we'll do the same with WMX, and really have concentrated a lot of the of the dollars right there because with guys like Triad and Hook Logic and kind of your other choices on the on the other retailers' websites, they've always. Kind of obscured the uh, the ROI uh, to some degree, so it's been it's been tough. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, those systems evolve a little bit more and they're a little bit less opaque. Uh, I think they're going to have to to stay competitive.
2: Interesting. Well, I know there's a bunch of WMX salespeople listening right now, so I'm sure you'll be hearing from them from them I'm soon. Sure. But we'll 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 beat that point home that that uh, transparency and access to data is is one of literally one of the impediments with folks spending money with you. Uh,
3: so yeah, I think as you, I think you're pointing that out, that's one of that, I think two of the thing two of the, the challenges with with AMS and AMG as they are right now, is one, the data, the, lack, the data is just not uh, easy to come by and it's, it's not as robust as some of the more established um, advertising channels. And then the second is mobile. The mobile experience and the desktop experience are, are, are distinctly different. And I don't know that uh, anyone, including Amazon, has really cracked the code for the mobile experience uh, with their digital advertising program. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, which is is interesting because you would you would certainly think like it's hard to believe there's a technical or skills impediment keeping someone like Amazon from building a great (laughs) advertising platform and great reporting and great (laughs) and and great mobile experiences. Right. I mean, it just feels like they haven't gone around to it yet. Uh, But hopefully uh, I don't know if you know this, but Jeff is a big listener of the show. So, you know, this could be triggering an email as we speak.
3: <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a Jeff email happening right now yeah.
2: uh, so beyond the advertising, are there any other considerations that you guys think about, uh, in terms of maximizing your, your results on Amazon? Um, I noticed, and I should have mentioned this up front. I've got a 20 month old in the house. Uh, so I'm a big user of your products. Uh-huh. Uh, and in fact, yeah, you've dramatically slowed down my midnight snacking because like all the, the safety first products in my kitchen make it much harder to, to, uh, get food out in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so just thankfully uh, the espresso machine isn't protected exactly just just a product idea for you is some led lighting and some of that stuff might be helpful
0: Uh, (laughs) it probably won't cost us a a penny more to make them glow in the dark
2: exactly uh but uh, so i I have noticed like you guys are well represented in all the different amazon programs and so you know you have a lot of add-on products um i i also noticed you guys have some amazon choice status products so you know i'd I guess I'd be curious. Do you overtly like try to achieve those things? How, what how, how are you managing your portfolio of all those those sorts of things?
3: Well, uh, the we're lucky to have it. I wouldn't say that we uh, we were able to tell you exactly how we got. It. I mean, certainly it's volume driven, and there's a profitability quotient as well. Uh, so, uh, and then as, as we all know, if we're a private label image. Uh, you know, in Amazon that have a leg up for those programs. But to, to answer kind of your, your initial question, as we look at managing the business, there's just what what I've been talking about for the last year and a half with the company is that we break e-commerce into into seven centers of excellence. And Amazon in particular, all of our initiatives kind of fall into one of those centers of excellence. So we, we live and breathe this almost like a religion where uh, one of them is marketing and Another is the consumer experience. The, a third is certainly operations, especially with Amazon. There's products and availability. There's technology. There's business intelligence and data, and then there's partnerships and people. So each one of those, we look at and we, we, we break it down from quarter to quarter and from 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 year to year. And certainly we have a now, next, and a future plan for for all of those. And I think that that's a that's a, a huge challenge for us. From an e-commerce perspective and an Amazon perspective to, to manage all of those. And we have initiatives. Each one of those, I'd say from an Amazon perspective, you've obviously talked a lot about the marketing side. Operations is probably just as important in trying to trying to keep up with all the all the SLAs and everything that uh, that Amazon's training their customers to expect in terms of prime shipping and prime now
2: shipping. Got it. And about- uh, what you know, one of the things I uh, That we haven't talked about uh that scares a lot of people uh particularly on the one piece side of amazon is pricing like do you has has that been an issue for you do you have a strategy or any any pricing tips for for folks that are gonna put their products on amazon's platform
3: um well bob's bob's advice to me in the beginning was don't lose money so I, I try to price my products, our products, not to lose money. That's, that's goal one. Uh, I think
2: can you make it up in volume if you do?
3: <laughs> exactly. I, I, my kids are starting to do the new math, so maybe you can, but uh, yeah, right, right. I'm old school, so uh, I don't know how to turn a negative times a negative, <laughs> a negative times a positive into a negative. So. From a pricing standpoint we you know one of the, the things we talk about a lot and you, you mentioned it earlier when you talked about third-party data solutions is you know we say that data is more important than your mother and we're constantly just trying to get as much data um, systemically to, to make um, good decisions now we have map policies for um, a number of our brands that certainly helps but I mean it's the Wild Wild West when when you don't have a map policy so it's it's a constant challenge to 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 take a look at you know what's going on dynamically and to forecast accurately, and then from a pricing standpoint, um, where we're, we're constantly looking at ways to differentiate uh, without price as well.
2: Yep,
0: I think we're actually going to see a boom in uh, in brands that uh, traditionally may have not looked at map policies, uh, just because of what you know Walmart continues to be price leader. You know, Amazon will continue to follow, but now you've got Target saying they want to be a price leader too, and, and others. So in that kind of environment, as a manufacturer or a brand, you're, you know, it's like maybe I, I would have traditionally had a MAP uh, policy on my premium products only, but that's going to change. I I might use my uh, uh rollout a MAP policy for my MPP and OPP uh, lines as well, just to, for protection.
2: Wow. Yeah, that that is interesting. I, I could totally see that. Um you there are a bunch of, of other three P sellers that sell your products on Amazon. I'm assuming most of those are
3: authorized sellers. Is that I would, I would say it's a mix. Okay. So that's uh that's a challenge. Is you know, certainly we're we have a lot of great partners that do sell on the marketplace, and then there are some that we uh, we're not exactly sure how they got our product. So uh, that, I think you're starting to see an evolution on not just Amazon's marketplace, but on on Walmart's and others, where uh, it's it's going to become much harder to be that arbitrage type of seller. And I think uh, we're hoping that'll help with some of it. But you know, that's yeah. as we look at channel management, we're constantly looking at uh, at how to make sure that uh, we have a clean channel as yeah. well. And, only authorized sellers are included in
2: that. Yeah, and are you you having to invest some significant resources in that?
3: Yeah, I think we uh, we we have already, and I think we're we're obviously always continuing to try to do it. But I mean, it's it's a very tough business climate right now, and uh, as much as we'd like to expend to spend as much as we could on each of those centers of excellence, and one of them, you know, channel management, kind of falls under products on availability. Uh, you can't you can't spend. You
2: know, seven figures on every one of them. No, totally, totally get it. Uh, so, another topic that comes up is uh, the you know those those rare occasions when you you fall out of compliance with Amazon in one way or another, and the, obviously the the big specter looming over everyone's head is suspensions. Is that uh, has that come into play for you guys at all? Do you like Are there any uh, common mistakes or tips you'd, you'd give to folks? To avoid getting in the Amazon penalty box,
3: yeah, I think for us, we had the fear of God. Of uh, the entire organization, did not want to uh, ever end up getting suspended. And, you know, fortunately, we've had just an amazing operations team um, approach every SLA uh, very aggressively. So, uh, we're shipping ninety nine point seven percent on time. So. And I mean, there's more than just on-time shipping SLAs. Uh, there's there's a number of them that uh, we've been fortunate to have a, a great cross-functional team approach. But uh, it, my advice would be, you know, certainly have having um, a good set of of, of cross-functional team members uh, who are partners in the business who understand what you're trying to do, set the vision, and then and check in on it uh, very regularly. Uh, we're we were kind of a brick and mortar first organization, so that was a lot of the time we spent. At least in the first six to nine months, was just educating, you know, a lot of people within the organization about you know how e-commerce worked and specifically how Amazon worked. And I think the more communication we were able to have, and then give um, huge amounts of visibility to every part of the company. Bob's a big believer in that. He's uh, he's really championed, you know, having everything from like dashboards in every department so they can, so that we can uh, really track, you know, are we, are we tracking to be late with shipments or how are we doing with return rates? So I think staying out of the penalty box has been um, just a great team effort. And I think it starts with setting the vision for everything you, uh, that you need to accomplish and then just checking in very regularly on it. Yeah,
0: that's why one of our favorite uh, software platforms is Gecko board, which is uh We we love software that does one particular purpose, but does it really, really well. And that one just allows you to push. uh, It it just allows you to create great dashboards out on monitors. So um, as Jamie was saying, I I think what we we did early on was really invest heavily in the operations side, Um, operations and uh, consumer support. Uh, Those are two big pillars for us. So. Even at the at the point where we had to sacrifice, you know, maybe you know, advertising dollars and marketing dollars to really get that those two pieces of the business really humming along, and uh, the call center just won a great you know national award for for excellence, which is really really cool. And but we had to ramp up, um, you know, social support, Amazon Answers, answer uh, programs on other retailers. It's really we had to we had to expand the team and be in more. Uh, touch points with the consumers. So we, we think
3: that's really going to pay off long-term. And just one last point about suspensions. Beyond the SLAs from an operational perspective, there are dozens of ways that you can get yourself suspended as a seller, whether it be carrying products that overlap with uh, with 1P or getting caught paying for reviews uh, or seller ratings or selling selling counterfeit products. So I think what we had was uh, a couple of subject matter experts who poured through all of the, the different SLAs and rules and everything that uh, Amazon puts uh, on, on the portal to allow sellers to know how to optimize their business and made sure we communicated that uh, very clearly throughout the organization
1: cool so that that's been super helpful to hear some some real world stories from you guys about how you manage amazon and uh, let's pivot a little bit and talk a little bit about Walmart so I imagine you guys have a long history of selling wholesale to Walmart um, are you participating in the marketplace and and um, I guess that would make you one of the very rare hybrid Amazon and Walmart so so curious what you're doing on Walmart
3: yeah we uh, we are a hybrid for Walmart as well we launched um, probably the the best possible time to launch on Walmart Marketplace was in uh, in November, right before <laughs> right before Black Friday. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> greatest yes. month to launch anything. Yeah, Good fun. So uh, don't try that at home, kids. <laughs> you have a choice, but it it's, uh, it it really had fantastic results, even um, in Q four of last year. So really, out of the gate, we were very fortunate to see sales do extremely well and. I think I alluded to it a little bit. You know, Last year, e-commerce as a team, we, uh, we exceeded our sales goal for, for 2016 uh, by 53%. And certainly, Walmart Marketplace was, was a big part of getting us um, past our sales goal and certainly crushing that goal.
1: Cool. Any other uh, channels, marketplaces, uh, or you know, anything you think that's kind of interesting that you think other brands would find kind of uh, fascinating?
3: Uh, well, we're on eBay as well, and mm-hmm. we're on Jet. Uh, we uh, we launched on Jet about a month before they got bought out, so we like we feel like that, that had something to do with it. For sure. <laughs> and I think we're always looking at, at, at different opportunities uh, to, to try and uh, put our products in front of um, as many customers as we can.
1: Yeah, for eBay, some people kind of view it as an outlet kind of a thing, or uh, other people just kind of put their main line on there. Do you guys have a a kind of certain part of your how how eBay fits into
3: the strategy? Uh, I wouldn't say it's it's we've we've completely solidified or crystallized our our how how we we approach eBay. Um, I think we we do have a a healthy mix of, of current products as well as what we call like excess inventory and closeouts on eBay. But um, again, you know, we, we, you brought it up earlier, you know, we talk, we think about channel conflict and certainly there's, there's some good experimentation you can do. eBay's um, doing a lot to try and um, improve their merchandising, especially in the baby categories. So we're, we're happy to partner with them and help, uh, help to be a, uh, uh, a part of that, that, uh, that improvement in, the, in, in our categories.
1: Yeah, found eBay, is, eBay very, is they've got brand religion, so they're, they're being a lot more friendly to brands lately. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with Hal, who came from Home Depot. He kind of understands the the that dynamic better than than folks that, that maybe didn't have that experience.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Hal, Lotton, and uh, having watched him, uh, what he did at, at Home Depot was 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 really impressive. So I'm hoping that uh, they can do the same. Same. I think for us, what we don't want to do is just uh, go on any marketplace for the sake of being there. So you know, I say that we haven't crystallized our strategy, but we, we do think very co- um, closely about you know, what, what's our goal for each marketplace and you know, what is our approach on each marketplace as well. What's nice is that you know, we've
0: built everything so that uh, it's easy to launch a new market marketplace you know, as we see fit. You know, if we want to try something else out, uh, we can easily be up in you know, a matter of you know, days or weeks so it's, it's not really a, a huge investment if we want to play with something. I think what's, what's interesting is watching uh, Walmart Marketplace evolve uh, just month after month. A very interesting focus uh, as a company, and uh, we're, we're going to benefit from it. You know, The reports are, and the dashboards are going to get better. Um, it's, it's an interesting year to be on Walmart Marketplace, that's for sure
1: yeah it seems to be a big big area and uh Lori's in there swinging the bat like crazy so we'll, we'll see what kind of comes out of that
0: yeah uh, <laughs> Jamie and i met him uh what was it a month before they got uh got acquired and uh he's a he's a, an amazing guy i mean he, we were we were riveted so uh he certainly had us
3: um uh, all a, a captive audience so we're we're definitely big fans so yeah funny funny story between mark and me I interviewed with Mark at Quidzy literally a month before they closed the deal with Amazon. And then we visited with Mark at Jet about a month before Walmart bought them. So I feel like I, I got to start taking more meetings. You're yeah. the guy.
1: <laughs> yeah. You should get stock options with your meetings. I don't know if that <laughs> uh, that may violate some ethics thing, but I, that's not my problem. That's your problem. One, <laughs> <laughs> um, One question. So you guys are in a lot of places. um, And I think earlier you mentioned you have kind of six categories of products. Is there I know some some brands have kind of a that they look at these channels and there's some mapping that happens where they'll they'll say, all right, uh, channel B, I'm going to put this type of product there, but not this type of product. And uh, do you guys have any how do you think about that? Or you just put everything everywhere. That's another valid strategy as well.
3: No, I, I think we definitely, we're, we're careful and and we'll have a specific kind of game plan for excess inventory and closeouts versus uh, a completely different strategy for how we're going to approach new product launches And, you know, same thing for kind of online exclusives. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's not sort of that spray and pray kind of approach. It, 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 it is carefully thought out.
2: Got it. Uh, so, you guys are—I'm—I'm going to characterize you as very digitally mature for a branded manufacturer in the in the digital spectrum. Um, and interestingly, I have a lot of clients that are very large um, wholesale businesses, but are really just getting started on the digital side of the fence. Um, and you know, one of the big challenges you always run into is getting an organization to change. It's all this institutional inertia and all these antibodies that are, you know, in the organization that fight all, uh, all of these kind of new initiatives. Um, it, sa- it sounds like uh, you, you got to go through that uh, in, the, in your, your beginning in Darrell. Like, do you have any advice uh, for, for folks that are uh, just getting started on their journey? Go ahead,
0: Jamie. Well I', I don't, love the antibodies comment because I've, I've <laughs> never heard that before, but that
3: that's very appropriate it does feel like uh, yeah there are a lot of antibodies sometimes um no I think uh, i I'll say that one of the reasons I came to Durrell was because uh Bob and our CEO you know had sold me on a vision where they had already started down that that kind of mentality shift and made the investments and just a lot of the the out-of-the-box thinking in terms of technology investments and resources were a lot different than most of the other CPG companies and other vendor partners that I had worked with and other retailers. Even being, you know, it was 2016 at the time, it's amazing how many are still just trying to figure out e-commerce. So uh, I arrived having seen a vision that was already somewhat set, and I was just sort of, evangelizing that vision. But I think that's the big, that was the, the really important part of our success is evangelizing that vision and getting people excited. And I think in many cases, this is kind of Captain Obvious, but a lot of people think that uh, it's almost a threat to their job. So number one, you have people who look at it and say, am I going to be out of a job in, in six months because of this new e-commerce thing? Or this is 20% extra work for what it was already a very hard job. For me. So I think I've been lucky. I think we had a cross-functional team of about a hundred people that really jumped on board. But I think we also had a really strong vision that we were able to get people energized with from the top down. And then I think you know Bob Bob had already established a lot of that when I got to the company. So it wasn't very difficult to do. I
0: used to have a full head of hair too, but now you know not so much. <laughs> but uh, I, I think the you know what we're trying to do is digital transformation from the inside, which I. Uh, is the most difficult, in my opinion, and in my experience, and I don't recommend it. <laughs> it's uh, it's just it's the long path, but uh, because you do have to you know evangelize quite a bit, and you know understand that it's going to slow you down a little bit. Uh, one of the things that that I'm trying to do is build a startup type of culture where just the sense of time is is very different. So you know in, instead of people um, communicating in email, they're they're now communicating in Jira. Uh, it's it's just a complete shift. And, and first, I would say just get the the early adopters. Like you need a ring of people that get it. Uh, we have a guy named Cabrón on our team that is a web technologist guy that we just we know that we can throw anything at this guy, and he's just amazing. And he can quickly integrate a new system or develop a database. Or so I, I think having kind of a scrappy team to start with of you know, the band of brothers kind of thing um, helps a lot. But then you have to just keep converting the people who want to be converted, and then kind of work your way down the curve to the people who, uh, you know, that are, are going to be really uh, resistant. So we're, we're, I'd say, we're midway down that uh, journey right now
2: very cool and it it sounds like i don't want to put words in your mouth but uh it sounds like you had a blend of evangelizing some of the legacy employees that were um most susceptible to become uh part of the the digital solution and then you brought in uh some some outside digital disruptors uh as well i.e jamie um does that do i have that right and does that seem like the right approach to
0: yeah i I do i I really think that uh one of the big mistakes is to go kind of whole hog, you know, out of the gate. One is to do almost nothing and just talk about transformation, and that—that's just I've seen companies, I've been at companies that have, that have done that. But and just uh, to be
2: clear, that's fine as long as you're paying a consultant like Sapient Razorfish while you're doing <laughs> that, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. That's that's exactly what I was going to say. But no, uh, you know what's funny? It, it's almost like if I took a step back for a second, the 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 key to to our success so far. Has been um, lots of quick wins and constant wins. So not just setting this massive goal, you know, way out there, but really understanding, you know, let's let's just set these small goals. Let's uh, let's get all of our product data in one place so we can actually use it. Oh, okay. Uh, let's go with Salsify. Oh, Salsify is not very expensive, so I can put it on a credit card. <laughs> so you know, to kind of scrap a system together. In a, and then build kind of agile processes around that, and then people gravitate toward the money. You know, you can just follow the money. If we're making a you know a massive headway and there's dollars and the dollars keep adding up, people tend to say, you know, I want that. Maybe I haven't had that on my team, and I want to go on that team. I want to be on the successful team. So you just kind of create this internal inertia and, and with guys like Jamie it's it's easy he, he carries that flag and uh, people just want to follow him
2: very very cool uh and by the way this is gonna sound super cheesy uh I I call that stair-step approach the stairway to awesomeness
3: <laughs> that's exactly cool. what it is
2: yeah that like you know you you paint that aspirational picture of where you want to get and you, you just can't do it in one giant big bang project so the stairway to awesomeness is the way to go Yes, and, it, and if you give Jason uh, six beers, I think is the number somewhere in there,
1: four to six, he will sing "Stairway to Heaven." But it's "Stairway to Awesomeness," and it's a it's a thing to behold.
0: <laughs> but for another time,
1: yeah, yeah. The uh, no no beers here on the podcast. This is uh, definitely a definitely a dry podcast. Oh, I didn't um, know that. <laughs> he, oh, sorry, did I. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Never <laughs> alerted you. All right. <laughs> um, so we have about five minutes for one last question, and I want to take it super high level. You, you guys have both had great careers in, in retail and brands and, and digital. Um, where do you see the future of e-commerce? Is, is it going to be, you know, uh, is Alexa after smartphones or, you know, feel free to kind of go two years out or, or 10 years out. So just would love to hear your thoughts. Haven't haven't seen kind of the the play out so far.
3: I'll go first because Bob's is probably going to be better than mine, so I don't want no. to hold that. Uh, so I, I think you know two of the things I see. One, or I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, is that I think the the what what's available for a one piece seller and what's available for a three piece seller. I think it's going to start to close. The gap's going to start to close. We've already started to see that close. So I think you're going to see it. Uh, that obviously the growth that Amazon's enjoying. Uh, a large part of that is is through three P. So I think you're going to start to see more more um, more of that consumer experience uh, become cons- uh, be, be more consistent on both the three P and the one P side. Um, in particular, I, I think about advertising and one of the gaps that I see that I think is I, I expect is probably going to happen. And I hate to use a uh, a cliche word it's it, with artificial intelligence, but I think AI driven. Predictive analytics to to help to, to help CPG brands and to help uh, even anyone who wants to use digital advertising or uh, to use it for for predictive forecasting. I think that needs to happen, and I think I just it, it still seems really nascent. I think I see a lot of solutions out there that don't take into account all the dozens of of sales drivers and forecast indicators that are unique to e-commerce, and I think there's. Those solutions are still built on in a brick and mortar world where uh, you're not taking into account estimated ship windows or prime badging or the, the dozens of things that can help to drive um, sales on the e-commerce side that just don't uh, that don't get factored in. And I don't think that uh, any human being can make those decisions um, as they're using them to, to forecast their, their sales or to, to drive their, their advertising spend. I think it has to be AI driven. So that, that's a prediction I'd see happening. Uh, few years is someone uh, someone coming up with that. Yeah, I, I absolutely, yeah. absolutely,
0: yeah. Predictive analytics is definitely going to be pervasive in, in almost everything that we that we do. Um, I know I worked at a company where we built our own real time bid, uh, bidding engine, and it's it's very complex. So, uh, but as computing power power gets better, and there's more people working on projects like that. Uh, a lot of the manual uh, activities that we do will just gravitate toward that kind of naturally uh, taking over. I, I see a lot of kind of near-term stuff that's in, that's important where I, I, I really think that retailers will start understanding that, you know, Prime is not a shipping program. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, I, I really do think that once other big retailers develop Prime-like programs and, and you know, the full breadth and power of a program like that. They'll underst- They'll really start understanding the, the, the game, and uh, I, I really I, I don't know about you guys. Like I haven't seen I, I've seen kind of small attempts at a prime like program, but nothing nothing even close to it.
1: If if it's not a shipping program, what is it?
0: It's I mean it's like it's a massive loyalty program. It's it's the stickiness that uh, that you just can't get out of it. It has unbelievable, unmistakable value um i I think they've gone well past the uh, you know the yearly the the annual fee for the program in terms of value at this point uh and, and I really do think that that is a uh, a massive uh, way to build loyalty
1: cool to so, you know um you guys are both you know, deep in the, the world of Amazon um do you think it's game over? Or do you think that, you know, just like we saw, you know, uh, Bob, you're old enough to remember this. It used to be that, you know, no one could beat IBM Mm there. You would just like, you know, people just call them up and get mainframes installed. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly Microsoft took over and then it was Google and now it's Amazon. You know, what, what do you, any votes on like the next dark horse? You know, is it going to be a company we've already heard of? Or is it some company that's like two dudes in a garage right now? Oh, that's a good one.
3: Jamie, you want to go first on that one? So I yeah I mean history tells us no one no company remains dominant for probably more than more than fifty years uh, even if it's still around I I think I'm starting to see somewhere they they're they're bucking that trend so Walmart's probably one where they're starting to come around uh, they may they may buck that trend and remain dominant past fifty years but I yeah I think. One of the things I think about is on demand. You've talked a lot about it, Scott, Scott, and I I can see that being kind of the disruptor. And, you know, obviously Amazon's going after it too, but uh, maybe in in different categories, I can see that being uh, the next next disruptor that maybe um, Amazon isn't able to, to handle.
2: Oh, that's crushing! I've spent like eighty-five episodes trying to to get Scott's ego down, and you just told him that he's the future of e-commerce. Great! <laughs>
3: you, you're going to pay me in cash, right, Scott?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
3: No, no checks.
0: <laughs> what, what's amazing to me it, it it almost seems like Amazon is is bucking the the you know the old trend of you know IBM and companies like that, just kind of really having to pivot hard. And uh, and swallow hard too. And you know, at, at major inflection points, is is the scale. That's the thing that gets me. It's you know, looking at you know announcements from Target saying, oh, we're going to spend a billion dollars in uh, in you know fixing our supply chain up. When Amazon's spending what, I think eighteen billion? Yeah. It, it's just the the scale is is something to really think about. And how do you how does a disruptor, you know, two guys in that garage, really? really break into that. Now, I'm not saying Amazon's perfect either. I'm, I'm actually I've noticed a lot of, you know, a lot of kinks on a, on a daily basis in the armor or chinks in the armor where, you know, even like my guaranteed shipping package didn't arrive in two days, you know, oh. a, a, a several times now. So, you know, there's definitely some growing pains there. But uh, I I got to think it's only another giant. It's, it's got to be like a Walmart that really, really uh can can keep up with those guys. I, I also, since I worked at Rakuten, I would not discount uh, all these guys that are overseas currently that have just been watching the market patiently. Uh, Rakuten, Alibaba, they're they're just massive groups that uh, certainly have the the power to. Uh, you know, they, they're not they're not known to be first movers. Remember, they they watch and they're perfectly fine to be the second or third mover.
1: Yeah, and they're the only guys that have kind of. "Quote unquote," beat Amazon, you know. So uh, Amazon didn't do well in China, and, and mm-hmm. you know, continues to be kind of like number three or four there. And uh, I don't know about Japan. Amazon's done pretty well in Japan, but you know they're they're definitely uh, Rakuten is is still a major factor there.
3: Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think probably the the, the guarantee for me is that third, you can check back thirty years from now. I think when Bezos decides to retire or walk away, that's when. They're definitely at risk. I mean, you look at Target and their dominance. Really, um, when Bob Ulrich stepped down, that that was really when you saw them start to start to um, have some struggles. And you know, same thing with Walmart, Bill Walton. And I could see the same thing. You know, whenever Bezos starts to step down, no disrespect to the rest of their leadership team, but you know, it's a pretty big.
2: Uh, to fill. I, I think to your point That no no empire lives forever uh, Jeff has made that point And said but what you really want to do is just make sure That your empire outlives you <laughs> and so you yeah. you you, could, you, uh, you and he may have the same strategy there for him uh, but that's going to be a great place to end it because it has happened again we've wasted a perfectly good hour of our listeners time so i, I really want to thank you guys for uh, uh spending an hour with us and sharing the knowledge well, thank well, you. you thanks for having me thank you thanks yeah, was great
1: Yep. Bob and Jamie, thanks for joining us. And a little plug here for Jamie and I. Uh, Jamie is going to be one of my speakers at the Internet Retailer Conference and Exhibition, also known as IRCE, on June 6th. I do a day there that's called Amazon and Me, where we go pretty darn deep about uh, these kinds of topics uh, in a 12-hour extravaganza. So if you're interested in that topic, uh, join us then, and Jamie will be there. Uh, what's the? I've, uh, I just went through eighteen decks on this whole thing. So you're talking about hybrid, is that right, Jamie? Is
3: that the topic? Yeah, I'm talking about uh, how to manage your Amazon strategy, whether you're a one P, three P, or a hybrid.
1: Yep. So overall strategy, yes. And your presentation is awesome. So people are going to love it. Thanks, guys, and I hope to see uh, Jamie. I'll see you there, and uh, hope to see some listeners there.
3: Great. Thanks. Looking forward to it.